In all I do, may I honor you. Hey, Brother Tim, how long has it been since you've been sober? Eight years, Mark. Hallelujah. Yep, amen. And you got baptized over on Riverside Drive, didn't you? Praise the Lord. You know what? That just came to my mind here the other day, and I I was like, wow. Just the memories, you know, that you you get to see people get saved and their lives changed. And so it's been eight years. We are blessed to have you in Hollywood with us. Thank you for being with us. I love you and love your family, and I'm glad that you're here. Uh, As kids are dismissed to head to back to Children's Chapel, isn't it great to see our little people here? And uh, I love them up here, and... You know, I just love them singing and worshiping, and and they're the next church. Amen. If you have your Bible, if you would, please hold it nice and high. And if you have your iPad, your iPhone, your EarPod, any other pods, but more importantly, if you have the Word, and that's God's Word, you hold it nice and high. We say our Bible decree together. This is my Bible, God's Holy Word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And I will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. Hallelujah. What a great reminder of what we need to be, who we are, what we need to do in our own walk and in our life. Today's message, look at this. Breaking free from our unwanted past. Breaking free from our unwanted past. Past. How many of you have a story that you could share? How many have a story that you could share of your past? Go ahead. How many of you could say with your hand raised high that I loved my past? How many could say that I loved my childhood? How many could say I've had a rough life? Okay. Well, we've got honest people, and that's exactly what this is about today. We've been going through a series uh, called Shame. You know, releasing the shame, going through this journey of shame. And last week we had the great privilege as we talked about change your bitter life into a better life. As Patty Nusius was able to give just a a picture of her life, of what she went through as a child. And as I was doing this message, my thought was this. How amazing is it to be able to talk about being freed through forgiveness? Church, we have a hard time forgiving. We have a hard time letting go of past pains and hurts. It's very difficult. And, and so, so today, this message will be a result of our choices of our past experiences. And some, if not all of us, of our church choices and personal mindset today are still being influenced or dominated by our past. Some people cannot move on. And experience meaningful living because of their unwanted past. For us, it's to experience, for us to experience fruitful and meaningful living, we must learn to get rid of them. God has provided us a way to be free from our past. If I were to ask you a simple question, and the simple question would be this, it's so easy. Have you forgiven those that have hurt you? Have you forgiven those that have hurt you? And how about this? The next question is, have you forgiven yourself? Have you forgiven yourself? You know, growing up in a a home where there was divorce, 
Mom was married three times. Dad was married four times. We're a blended family. And you see the hurt and the pain and you watch it in your siblings. And as you get older, you start to look at their life. And and in in their life, you you start asking questions like, wow, what's wrong with them? Why, Why are they holding on to so much bitterness and so much pain? And it's so sad because... I look at my own siblings and I think, man, I want them freed. I want them freed from all of the hurt and all the pain and all the junk that they were that, that was in their life and the abandonment from a dad to a, you know, I mean, I have four older siblings. Actually, I have five because Tracy's seven minutes older than I am. I just wanted everybody to know that here today, right now. Then in the, she does turn 51st. You know what? And I think this year I will congratulate you. I think I'm going to call you first, midnight. Wait. Oh, we'll be together in Florida. Okay. So uh, I might have to wake you up if you're sleeping. Anyhow, hey, old lady. Just kidding. And uh, <laughs> this is true. Do not call me after 9 o'clock. That is my new midnight. I love 9 o'clock. I love going to bed early. So let me stay on point here right now or I'm going to go down a fox trail and then I'm going to lose it all together. That's just how I am. But anyhow, you know, so in our life and growing up, we have the four older siblings and their dad was just, he was absent from their life. And I even notice now, even in their life, that they're still dealing with resentment and pain. And am I popping a little bit here? Am I, am I okay? And... Uh, Okay, for some reason it's distracting. I'm just hearing a pop. But anyhow, so that's better. And uh, but but with me saying their pain, and and I've watched in their adult life, it's it's kind of trickled over into relationships, into marriage, into friendships, because they don't want to forgive to be free. We heard Patty say last week it was a time in her life when she walked over to that grave, and after she found them. She told her dad what she needed to say, and after she was done, she turned around and she walked away and she hasn't visited that pain since, have you? Because you're free from it. That is the truth about life. Here's some truths about life. Unwanted past can be a failure in life, offenses done to us, our family background, or personal sin. Many of us, can, we, we come to um, New Hope for Recovery. And the step in recovery, step number one is... Say that again. Realizing that your life has become unmanageable. Until you face it, and until it becomes real, you can't move forward. Life is difficult. It, it took me some time before I actually told people, my dad was an alcoholic. It took some time for me. I knew that my dad owned three bars, but it, it took a lot of time because there was so much shame that I, I hated that. You know, I got saved at nine years of age, baptized at 13, called to preach, surrendered in uh, Indiana under a missionary who was going to Papua New Guinea. His name was John Gray. And I remember that moment. It was just a defining moment. And I don't know that I was ashamed of my dad or because I didn't want people to say I was a pastor. Go, oh, yeah, right. Your dad owns two bars uptown Ravenna. He owned one in Brady Lake and he runs around and these are the things that he does. I think I was just dealing with some of that shame, even though my dad was a phenomenal businessman, worked for ODOT, retired from there, was superintendent, took care of all the state of Ohio. I mean, he was he was an amazing, functionable alcoholic. Okay, so how hard was it for me? 
How hard was it for me to be able to, to, to go over Tracy and I would go visit him on the weekends? So this was back in the day, and I don't know if you all remember this, but in the 70s and the 80s, it's not, visitation isn't what it is today. So if your parents are divorced, you get to go see your dad on Saturday and Sunday. Then you wait a whole week. Then you get to visit him from 12 to 5 on the following Sunday. And then you could wait a whole nother week and we go back to Saturday and Sunday. That was visitation for us. My dad spent two, four, six, maybe eight days with us out of 30 days. So for me, you know, growing up, I never saw anything. I saw this guy who was successful at, at what he did, owned Chaparral Windows and Home Improvements, uh, owned the bars, did very well, had a great life. And I thought, wow, he, every little boy wants a daddy like him. But I didn't see those gaps in between. Was unable to see some of that stuff. And so when I look back about the truths of life, my unwanted past can be, sometimes I can look at it in my own life and say, I don't want people to think I'm a failure because my pride crept up. See, when we are unable to deal with our unwanted past, we live in constant shame, bitterness, and fear. I got bitter. There were times I'm like, why are you doing that? Smoke another cigarette and you're going to die, Dad. That's what I used to tell him. And it became such a, I, I found myself somewhat becoming bitter over it. But yet it was mixed. It was like going into a, 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 crock pot and all this soup is in there of shame and of fear and of pain and of resentment. Truths about life, people who are motivated by these have a tendency to cover them by performance, seeking approval, blaming others, material possessions, seeking pity from others. Oh, Ryan, listen to my story. It's better than yours. You know why? Guess what, Billy? I have a story you got to hear because I'm addicted to my pain. Seeking that. We're addicted to those things, and so we end up wanting to share them with other people, blaming other people, instead of claiming what is rightfully our responsibility. I look at CJ because he's our ministry leader over our New Hope for Recovery. Material possessions. My grandfather owned a bar in Dingus, West Virginia. And I watched my Uncle Ron, my Aunt Betty, my Aunt Nay, my father. I watched all of them deal with alcoholism and drug addiction. When I was doing this message, I looked at it and I thought, wow. But there was something they all had in common. They never wanted to face their fear, their shame, or their pain So they got material possessions to mask all of it. It made them look functionable. It made them look successful. And yet, one night, I remember it was one of the last times that my grandma had passed and my Aunt Betty was just weeping and she had drunk too much. And some of you know Aunt Betty. Love her dearly. Such a sweet lady. Last of all the siblings still living. But I remember going in and she was in the fetal position on the bed. And and she's like, I just don't want to live any longer. Seeking pity from others. Get a hold of your life. Get a hold of your life. 
and this is going to be hard, get a hold of your sin. Because that sin will keep you so tripped up and keep you in bondage to where you, you won't be able to see the light of day. Be free from it. So I said there, people are motivated by these, have a tendency to cover them up by performance and fear. Notice this performance. Meeting certain things to feel good about ourselves. Overcoming pain and significance based in performance. See, we overcome the pain, and I'll be getting to the text this morning in Samuel. But we, we, we handle sometimes this performance thing because we're in fear of failure. You'll never make anything of yourself. You are just like fill in the blank. Some of us have heard it. Some people want to pick and take away from your life instead of pouring into your life. I like this, not today, Satan. I keep looking at that shirt. That's like, you get him, Debbie. Failure. Because we know what we deal with every day of our life. We become approval addict. Be approved by others to feel good about self, overcoming pain and significance based on pleasing others. I will do all I can because, you know, here's my fear. I don't want to be rejected. So I'm going to please everybody. I had a pastor once that was a yes man. He wouldn't stand up if his life depended on it. He just wanted to say yes, 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 because he had such a great heart that he, did, he feared rejection from people. If you run your own company in this room, you'll soon learn that you can't please everybody. People come and people go. Guess what? If you're a pastor in this room, you'll never please everybody. I'm back. Because of fear, we have a tendency to say, oh, sit down. Instead of speaking truth into people's lives. Then we go into the blame game. Blame others and find fault on others. We blame others, we find fault with others because we're in fear of punishment. Oh, go ahead. Blame the guy next to you. Blame the other person. It's all their fault because you're afraid of the outcome. See, when we're in sin, it ends up taking us and taking over us. Don't you worry about the punishment. You need a good spanking. Man, this is like an old-time preaching message. I need to start talking like this. <laughs> I must have that syndrome. Overcoming pain and significance based on material things and outside appearances. Fear, not always feeling we're a lack of. How about this? Poor me outlook. I am hopeless. I can't change. I am hopeless. I can't change. Overcoming pain and significance based on receiving pity from others. Here's what you fear. You fear losing control and losing handle of your life. So you always have this poor me. Oh, you won't believe it. Sit down. You got an hour and a half. I got some things to share with you. Well, I have some things to share with you too. If we shall confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Get over the poor me outlook. Quit playing the blame game. And listen closely. Only God through Jesus Christ and His timeless principles can set us free from shame. No human means of covering can take it away. Do you hear me? Only Jesus Christ and His timeless principles can set us free from shame. No human means of covering up can take it away. 
You have to face it. CJ said, before we get into the, the, the text today, and so CJ said today in class, he said, we have a tendency in some recovery programs, and I think this is great that we're correlating the two, but talking about shame, and February was our kickoff month for our New Hope for Recovery, but he said some people want to reside, they want to set back and talk about more of their story instead of their recovery. Listen, church. Do the Lord a favor. Find favor with the Lord. And do the Lord a favor by giving Him all the credit for where you're at. That's all He wants from each and every one of us. We are imperfect people living in an imperfect world to try to become more perfected and walking in Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. We've got to live, walk, talk, stride, run, get excited about who we are. Listen, church, I could go back over 15 years and tell you about all the sob stories, and it would not give any justification to any of those sob stories. Or I could stop the nonsense and deflection and excuses and the blame game and say, oh, Jesus is still in control. He's still in control of our... He, you know what? I'm not the same man that I was when I was 37 years old and we started this ministry. Or 35 for some time back then. I'm not. I've grown through it. I've made mistakes. And I stand up here to say when I'm wrong, I say I'm wrong. Nobody sticks baby in a corner. You don't know that movie. And you shouldn't be watching it either. Anyhow, Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. Isaiah Chapter 1, verse 18. Let's turn in our Bibles, if you would, please. When we go to Christ and He delivers us, then we are free in Him. So in Isaiah chapter 1, watch this. Breaking free from our past happens when we... Point number one. And I'll go through quickly today. Repent, receive, and release forgiveness. Breaking free from our past happens when we repent, receive, and release forgiveness. Forgiveness. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. And it says here, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as red or as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they shall be red like crimson, they shall be as Wool. Turn to Matthew 18, verses 21. Matthew 18, verse 21 through 35. Here Jesus is speaking on forgiveness. And in verse 21 of Matthew 18, it says this, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times. Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. That is a lot of forgiveness. I just want you all to know. If you're not good in math, talk to somebody who is. Steve will be available right out in the vestibule following this morning's service. He'll let you know what seventy times seven is. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, that's, a, that's from my kin in Kentucky, reckon, like I reckon so. Actually, the word means to settle an account is actually what that means. But I love the word reckon. One was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. 
But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payments to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and it said it released him and forgave him the debt. Verse 28. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, which owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me all that you owe me. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when the fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that, he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all the debt because you desired it, because you begged for it, because you begged me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on you? And his Lord was angry and delivered him into the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if you from your heart forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Hmm. Before I move into Acts chapter 3, isn't it amazing here? Oh, it's easy to ask somebody to forgive us. But it's so hard for us to forgive somebody else when they owe us a debt of some sort. I always tell everybody, if you, if you want to help somebody, now I'm talking within reason. The first thing Satan will do to make you bitter is go ahead, write up a document that says you owe me money. And before long, you'll soon find out that you will be bitter with them because they won't pay on time, they won't pay you back, just give it to them. And if you can't give it to them, then don't do it. I just think it's that easy. Because it says here, even our Heavenly Father will forgive our hearts, our trespasses, our pain. Forgive others. In Acts chapter 3, and that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 3. Let me get there since you guys are ahead of me. Acts 3, verse 19. It reads, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before you was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive into the times of restitution of all things which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. And then let's finish with 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. And the word there says regretted of. So for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. 
If our painful past is a sin that we have done, all we have to do is seek forgiveness from God and believe that he is more than willing to give it to us. If the unwanted past is caused by the recurrent remembering of the offense, we must choose to release forgiveness for our own peace. If you do not forgive, you'll never have peace. Church, I'm here. I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. Walk in victory. Let go. Let God. When you get to the end of yourself, you get to the beginning of God. And the old hymn says, all to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. Surrender. We need to forgive ourselves. Point number two. Receive comfort from God by surrendering our hurts to Him. Receive comfort from God by surrendering our hurts to Him. How many of you have been hurt in this room? We've all been. I have been hurt. Being hurt is not a good feeling. Hurting others is not a good feeling. Matthew eleven twenty eight says this. And Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle. And you will find rest for your souls. And verse 30 says, for my yoke fits perfectly and the burden I give you is light. What you're going through is perfect to get you where, you're, where you need to be. Think about that for just a minute. Sometimes the chaos of our life, we would never be where we need to be if we didn't look back over some of the chaos of our life. And understand the forgiveness and the grace of God that we get to receive as Christians. Oh, God is so good to us. I mean, isn't that just such a wonderful, comforting thought? Verbally sharing out our pain to others or to professional psychiatrists can be helpful, but the help they can offer will still be limited. But listen closely. But if we humbly seek The comfort of God. He is more than willing and more able to comfort us because He created us and knows us even more than we know ourselves. In 1 Samuel, if you want to turn there, you can read it with me. 1 Samuel chapter 30. I'm turning into quite a few texts here this morning. But it's talking about David and it's talking about David and the decision that he made there at Ziklag. I brought that up in a previous message, but I'm going to retouch on it again. And the men followed him, even though they felt a sense of they they really didn't want to. They still followed their leader, their commander. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1, David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the, the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it. And had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. Listen to that. Verse 4. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. Crying is so exhausting. Weeping is even more exhausting. I'll never forget the time when Dad had cancer and he was taken off in that ambulance. And I remember going back to the pond and I just wept. And I remember just the weight and the burdens of the world that were just lifted off of me. And in that moment of weeping, even though I wanted to say, Dad's only 67, keep him here. I couldn't keep him here. 
But I knew what God wanted me to do in and through that, during that moment. Now watch this. I had no physical strength to move on. David and his army, it says here, they had no physical strength to move on. Because you see, David's two wives had been captured. Ahinoam and Jezreel and Abigail. The widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and his daughters. They were mad. They were angry. They were upset. They were upset because they followed David because they thought David was a victor. And they went in thinking they were going to win. And before they got there, the Amalekites had taken all of their loved ones. And to the men, they thought they were dead. What would it be like if all of a sudden you got home and thought your family was there and they were gone? The tragedy that people have walked into is catastrophic. And it's sad, but we're so blessed in America to be able to know that we can lock a door and feel a sense of safety that's there. Oh, they were mad at David. So now David, who was the mighty, mighty conqueror, the commander, the chief, now was about to be stoned. They rejected him. They didn't like him. But I love what the next verse has to say. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Verse 7, David fought them from dusk and evening of the next day. And none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. You see, King David, when he failed his men, when their enemies took their wives and children, that even led them to think of harming him chose to encourage himself in the Lord instead of punishing himself. After that, he was able to pick himself up to recover that which was lost. So what's the correlation, preacher? When we choose to surrender our pains to God and let him comfort us, he gives us strength and wisdom to move beyond our failures and our pains. I'll read that for you again. When we choose to surrender our pains to God and let Him comfort us, He gives us strength and wisdom to move beyond our failures and pains. Point number three, I have two more. Surrender to God's process of restoration. Surrender to God's process of restoration. In John chapter 9, verse 6, in John chapter 9, verse 6, it said, when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Now, I love this story. And I want to get through this story, and I might just make, I'll, I'll do this quickly. When God restores us, we must be willing to have it his way. Sometimes he does things not the way we want it to happen. When we must trust and obey God, just like a patient who must follow doctor's prescription for healing, to happen you've got to listen the same way with god he has given us biblical principles as prescription for our restoration watch this story unfold i love this one of the greatest stories of the bible because every time i think that that jesus is doing a work that things are taking place that it's so cool so we're talking about breaking free from our unwanted past and so as I went to bed last evening, I said, Lord, I, I need something. I, I'm missing something, a key component to this message today. 
And so in the middle of the night, he woke me up. It was about 4.12 in the morning. And he said, I want you to go to John chapter 9. I want you to talk about the man who was healed since he was a child. Now, so he goes to the pool of Siloam. They put mud on his eyes. And I'm going to read this to you here in just a minute. But what I think is cool about this story is this, that even the young man didn't blame his parents. See, first of all, in Jewish law, you cannot heal on the Sabbath. Strike number one for Jesus. He was healing on the Sabbath. Point number two, the, the, uh, in the temple, the priests always said Jesus was just a rabbi. He was not the son of God. So he was always telling others that, no, I am the son of God. So we see that there's doctrine there. Now, we can also see the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, as he starts to do the work, and he starts representing his Father, but he does everything through the power of his Father and through the Holy Spirit. That's how healing takes place. Okay? But what I love about this is that it's so easy for all of us to say, I am who I am because Mama and Daddy did it to me. I am who I am because of my upbringing. I am who I am because of the chaos that they put me under. But I love what took place here in this story, but it reminds me of today. So we all are in John chapter 9 and watch. It says, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. Blind from his birth. Now watch. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. Jesus answered and said, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Reveal Christ in your testimony. That's what's happening here. I must work the works of him that sent me, Father God, while it is day, the night comes when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Isn't that great? Jesus is the light of the world. Okay? Verse 6. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. That's why whenever I spit, I said, I think I just spittled. Just for all of you to know, it's a little King James Version in there. And, uh, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. But you're going to spittle quite a bit when you've got a gap like mine. It just happened, so I'm sorry. And if I do, I apologize beforehand. And said unto him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. Interpretation means translated, sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him, that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged the blind guy? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How are thine eyes opened? And here's what he said. He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and received sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I don't don't know. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind, that was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay And opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto him, he put clay upon mine eyes and I washed and now I can see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. 
They say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him? That he hath opened thine eyes, he said, he is a prophet. See, they only looked at Jesus as a prophet, as a teacher. They didn't look at him as the son of God. Verse 19, and they asked them, saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then doth he now see? And, and here, here we go. Ready, parents, take responsibility sometimes, because here's what they did. His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we don't know. Or who hath opened up his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. Go, Mom. Go, Dad. Can you help a kid out? They knew something had taken place because they saw the miracle right before them. Verse 22, these words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, he is of age, ask him. Then again called they he, called they the man that was blind and said unto him, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said... Whether he be a sinner or not, I know not. One thing I know that, whereas I was blind, now I see. Glory, hallelujah. He said, I was blind, but now I see. We're going to stop right there in, as far as this text is concerned. Because here's what I want you to see through this. He was delivered. We can look back at our unwanted past, but listen, until you realize that everything, who you are, what you were, whatever existed, you can now walk in the newness of Christ. He said, verily, verily, I say to thee, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Let the old go. Bring on the new. So come on, Jesus. Bring on the new. That's what he was saying. He said, I am free, 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 because I know that he's the son of God. His name is Jesus. Point number four. Don't dwell in the past, but think or pursue of the possibilities that God has prepared for you. And view our past as tools for growth. Isn't that cool? Don't dwell in the past, but think or pursue of the possibilities that God has prepared. Quickly, Proverbs twenty four 16. I'll read it to you. For for though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again, but the wicked are brought down by calamity. Philippians three thirteen and 14. No, dear brothers and sisters, I am still not all I should be, but I am focusing on all my energies on this one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead, strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us up to heaven. One preacher said, when the Bible tells us to forget about our past, it did say that we must erase it from our minds because it will always be there to remind us. However, it does mean that we must not allow our past to control us by focusing on the great things that God has prepared for us. I like what Thomas Edison had to say. We must view our past as tools for improvement. Rather than allowing them to destroy us, Thomas Edison, when he failed the 800th time, while inventing the light bulb, was told by his assistant, Sir, we have failed 800 times already. Thomas answered, No, we haven't failed 800 times. We've learned 800 things not to do. What a great thought, huh? 
We must choose to view these painful paths as opportunities for growth. And in closing, point number five, and I'll, I'll be done. Focus persistently on our identity in Jesus Christ, regardless of our feelings about ourselves. Focus persistently on our identity in Jesus Christ, regardless of our feelings about ourselves. Second Corinthians 5, I just quote, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things have become new. Romans 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, His pleasing, His perfect will. We must not allow our past to dictate or dictate or make a final statement of who we are because life is a process and life is a journey. We must not always agree the feelings that we have for ourselves, but rather renew our minds regarding who we are in Christ Jesus. Never go back. 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 Listen, he said, it's a new beginning. Life is a process. And I, I will tell all of you that all that stuff that I experienced, I didn't have a bedroom at my dad's house. I had a bed. My twin didn't have a bedroom at that house. She had a bed. We were guests in that house. So church, I'm speaking of myself. I know what I went through trying to find my place. And I've gone for 15 years trying to find my place as a pastor. And until I realized, hey, Todd... There's no shame in your game. Don't you fear what the enemy has to say about you. You keep preaching the word of God. And it doesn't matter if you're not all things to all men. You'll never be all things to all men. You only need to be one thing to the almighty God. That's our story. And that's your story. And when we realize that in our life is just Jesus Christ, nothing else matters. God created a twin for me. Because he knew we needed to go through journeys of feeding a dog when our plates were piled up with all that roast beef. I couldn't eat it. Are you kidding me? That's enough to gag anything. So we fed it to Sam. Loved that dog. That Labrador ate so good when we were there over the weekends. We loved it. That's all I got to say. But when I look back over my past, I realize something so important. That when Jesus and all of his grace and all of his love walked down the Via Della Rosa for me and he was spit upon and he was whipped and he was struck down and he couldn't even carry the cross that was on his shoulders, that he was put on a cross and that a crown of thorns were placed on his head, that his spear was jammed into his side. And that they stripped him so that he was embarrassed and he was ashamed of who he was. And yet, in his embarrassment and his shame, he was on the cross and he said, Oh, Father, forgive all of them, for none of them know who I am. And in his grace and in his mercy, he died for us.
That is the love of God. And that is why we serve Him. His name is Jesus. He is all-powerful. He is almighty. And because of His forgiveness, I am free to forgive. And for me, I no longer hold the bitterness that I once had. So church, you can too. Do this. Shrug it off. And remember the words of our Savior Jesus Christ. You are forgiven. Let's all stand as we pray. Father God, I'm so grateful that you are not limited by our past. And when we give our lives to you, You already know all the failures and disappointments of our past. But that will not change your view for us, on us. And it will never ruin the plans that you have for us. Plans to make us better and greater than we ever were. So thank you, Father, that in our weakness you made us strong. That in David's life he knew that in his weakness, in the time of mourning and the loss of his family, it says in your word that he gained strength from you. So God, our families have disappointed us. You know that. You were there with us. You witnessed, watched, seen. You, you were there. But God, thank you for your forgiveness. Your amazing love. Your grace that was bestowed upon us so that we can then move forward. So God, we stand in this room as a congregation of sinful people. That view you not just on a cross, but as a resurrected Savior. So God, thank you for today. And help us, Father God, to let go of our unwanted past because it defines who we are in you. God, for those in this room that have needs, would you just reach into their heart and in their life, transpose them, reshape them, help all of us to be better and not bitter. Help us to forgive to be free. And help us to accept the deliverance that you so graciously gave to us when you died on the cross for us. So, Father, we come to you today as we walk in freedom with a humble heart, seeking your face and not your hands. Seeking your will and not what we can get. But God, help us to have a deep relationship with you. Bless your church. Deliver your people. And all God's people said, Amen.